The podcast Under the Stairs will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners will find offensive. Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs episode number 37. I am your host Duncan McLeish and I am here again to bring you another notch up the ladder or down the ladder depending on which way you look at it on the best top 10 and worst top 10 horror remakes as selected by yours truly. Um, we're at number 4 on that list, so we're really starting to get to the really good remakes and the really bad remakes. And I thought, you know, I need someone to take up the mantle of the guest spot here that can follow Jamie Jenkins from the previous episode with confidence. Um, someone that, you know, can bring a, a certain amount so a certain amount of uh, bodacious swagger to this podcast, and that may give you a clue. Is of course one half of the bodacious horror podcast. My esteemed colleague from uh, about thirty miles away from my house, uh, Mister Gil Rockitansky. How are you doing, sir? I'm pretty good. Thanks a lot for inviting me on. Well, you're <laughs> saying that. You're it's, saying that. <laughs> it's nice to be slumming it. <laughs> Scotland's second best horror podcast. <laughs> what's, what's, what, could you, could, what's Scotland's number one horror podcast? Uh, I don't know. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't made that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how are you doing? I'm actually, I'm pretty good. It's, it's been a week of pod <laughs> for you me were, this you week. Were, you were saying, yeah, because um, you, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, you have recently taken upon... Uh, another podcast position out with you. You're already quite hectic. Jeez, you've got you. You're now doing the full editing for uh, the two drink minimum commentary podcast as well, aren't you? Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I've, I've we actually recorded one last night for Brain Dead that I actually can't wait for people to be able to hear it because it's uh, people were actually saying at the end of it that their faces were sore from laughing so much. So. <laughs> You know, hopefully that'll actually make other people laugh. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't just us. There wasn't like some sort of psychosis. <laughs> just like oh, well, I think I did. I did one recently for for uh, demons, and um, they're, they're a good laugh. It's it's, um, it's not what people. I mean, people hear the the term commentary, they might think, uh, oh well, you know, that's just people talking about a movie. That's not necessarily what two drink minimum does. No. Um, Conversations tend to veer off pretty quick. I'm not entirely sure if any of them ever actually get round to the film. <laughs> <laughs> I know for sure that some of them just uh, they do more deviating than actually talking about the film, and they're they're really funny to listen to. So uh, well, it's, I c- it's a pleasure to edit that. To be honest, <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> I'm looking forward to just oh dear. Looking forward to checking that one out when it drops. Um, especially the, the new one because I, I do love a bit of Brain Dead. Um, so, uh, what, what's what's happening on the old uh, Bedacious Horror front? You guys have just recently finished your Universal Monsters collection, which I loved. Um, I thought it was uh, 
well, a huge props to you guys because you guys did the full look at that. You didn't just do the movies and the, the Blu-ray box set, but you went through all the special features. And when it came to the Phantom of the Opera, I think you did. You not watch every single version that's yes. ever been committed to film, which is just insane. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it was very insane. If anything's going to make you hate a story, watching <laughs> the same story eleven times. Over the period of a week, that may do it, yeah. Yeah, especially because some one version, fortunately, was about forty minutes long. One oh, of them right. was three hours. <laughs> you know, two of them had music by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh right, oh yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. That was that was a lot of fun. There was a lot of hectoring going on in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they were they were really fun to do. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad that we we've finished that now and we can move yeah. on to actually films that are about now <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they weren't weren't made like almost like 90 years ago yep so. and we, we had uh, this uh, really weird guy on the last one <laughs> I did, some really weird guy that forced you to watch an obnoxious movie aye <laughs> aye that was <sighs> Don't sorry know. about that <laughs> yeah that was Oh, I've almost managed to wipe that movie from my memory. <laughs> it was really, really bad. For those that don't know, um, I, I got the opportunity to chat about uh, Where, which is not that movie, um, and uh, Frankenstein's Army, which is the movie. Um, um, and it's it's a really bad movie. And the only reason I suggested that is because I thought it kind of loosely tied into what you guys were moving on to do and I thought you know I've seen that I had, that was the second time I've seen that movie and the first time I saw it I just wanted to put <laughs> knit needles in my eyeballs and burst my eardrums um, I, I, I was really close to that <laughs> <laughs> really really fucking close to that <laughs> but um, what what I, I, I get everyone to do on the, the show um, that's coming from a podcast is that I get you to pimp your show right at the start. Um, so, uh, yep. how how can people check out the Bodacious Horror podcast? BodaciousHorror.co.uk has all of our Facebooks and Twitters and every episode and the app the uh, Android users can check out. So, yeah, it's all on there. And we should have episode 65 out soon. And then episode 66, we'll uh, try and figure out what to do for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, the, the other question I always ask everyone at the start is, uh, you checked out anything really interesting in the last couple of weeks in, in the world of horror? Well, I've watched quite a lot of films, but the one thing that I keep wanting to re-watch again it's something we were actually talking about on Facebook the other night which was the Channel 4 series Utopia oh yeah which isn't strictly horror but it I suppose you could call it horror because there's a all the way through it it's about the potential for a virus to be unleashed on the world that that might or might not just completely wipe out large sections of society uh-huh. And it's superb. It's like watching a graphic novel. And it's got quite a limited palette and just the way it's framed. And it's mm-hmm. got minimal cuts as well. So when you're watching it, you could imagine it being panels on a page. And it's really well done. And as it goes through it, the 
the way you get to know characters, you can you can kind of come round to somebody that you absolutely detested at the start, and you can come to really dislike somebody who you thought was going to be like heroic. Yeah, yeah. So, I've, I've never I've never checked it out, um, but after your discussion, I was like, I really need to see this now. So I'm assuming it'll be on like the iPlayer or. Oh, it's four uh, O D. Yeah, four O D. Yeah, and yeah. I think oh. Netflix has the first season of it on the UK Netflix. Oh, awesome! Right, I'll, I'll need to I'll need to give it a check out for sure. Um, I'm not really, to be honest with you, did I've not really been watching that much out with the, the copious. Baby. Am- <laughs> well, I was about to say, out with the copious amounts of Argento that I'm kind of inflicting upon myself because uh, coming up at the end of the month. I've got the Argento Roundtable discussion, um, and I, I've known about it for months, because I arranged it, so I've known about it for months, but it's only when I sort the date out, which is like two weeks from, from actually recording, that I decide I need to watch all these movies, and then realise the guy has about 19 or 20 movies, yeah. um, and, and he's horror camp anyway, um, and yeah, so, um, I, but I can't complain that much, because I'm still pretty much in... The golden era of Argento, so um, I've obviously blitzed through the seventies, and the seventies like for Argento is just ridiculous. I mean, it's like some of his best work yeah. pops up there. You've got Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Cat and Nine Tails, Four Flies in Grey Velvet, Deep Red, Suspiria. I mean, that that's Tenebrae. Tenebrae falls in, so you just jump right into the eighties, and then you get Inferno and Tenebrae within a year of each other, yep. which is just fucking nuts. So that was Tenebrae was watched today, but I've seen that movie more times. I, I think that's actually my favourite Argento movie. I saw um, it in the cinema, actually. Did you? At uh, one of, I think it was the very first all night horror thing that the yeah, yeah. in Glasgow did. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. I, I would have been at the same one, but in Edinburgh. I saw the the one that they did in Edinburgh, the one at the cameo, the cameo, the, and that would have been the same. That must have been the same year, which was it's a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was. It was a while ago. But uh, yeah, how how much vodka did you take to it? Um, <laughs> well, I didn't actually. I didn't take anything, but the the cameo obviously the cameo sells alcohol. So, but it sells alcohol up to a point. It sells alcohol to. I think it's um, it's about like two in the morning or something. They have it, uh, and my friend had <laughs> had uh, the guy I was with. He brought his flask with him, which you know everyone thought it was like tea or something like that. Yeah. And it had uh, pre pre mixed Jack Daniels and cola, um, so we, we, we levied into that. <laughs> so... <laughs> it would have been nineteen ninety nine. I've I've just uh, checked because the the film that they showed at the end of the night. Was mm. the UK premiere of uh, the Sixth Sense? Fucking hell, right? Yeah, the trailer hadn't been released or anything at that point, and nobody really knew or cared what this film was about. And yeah, it, it was another two months before it actually had its full release. So that meant walking about for two months where there's only <laughs> five hundred people that that know what the the, the superb <laughs> ending of that film is, <laughs> and that was it. Finished at like eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And then we were all thrown out onto the streets, going, "Wow, that was an incredibly good film." Yeah, I, I need to tell someone about this, but yeah, I can't. I can. <laughs> Let's all go to Cafe Insomnia and say, "I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't see that coming." <laughs> but it was really yeah. good. But it did yeah. teach me one thing. 
and that that was the, the next year when I went to the all night horror thing. I took a cushion with me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to sit through five films in a row in the cinema, take a cushion. <laughs> yeah, I I found myself um like this is the the first year that I've not done any of them. So I I, I usually go to either the Dead by Dawn horror film festival, but I do the Spawn of Dawn one. Mm-hmm. That I do which is like the condensed mini show thing they do. Um, or I'll do at least one of the all night horror madness events because they do two a year in Edinburgh um, and this is the first year I've not done any and I'm kind of thinking that you know I'm, I'm getting to a certain age now Gil that uh, <laughs> and for some reason I, in the house I'm fine I can sit and watch movies as long as I want put me in a cinema setting though and I, I, if the movie's not like really 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 capturing my interest I can feel the eyes going yeah. <laughs> so I'll just just have a wee snooze. Uh... You make me feel fucking ancient now, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's mostly mostly our gentle stuff at the moment. Um, I probably will be for the next couple of weeks. Um, Which so... means that you've got. The Phantom of oh, the Opera God. coming up. The Phantom of the Opera is two movies away, so I have I have Phenomena and then Phantom of the Opera, and that closes out the nineteen eighties. Um, so, and his version of Phantom of uh, Phantom of the Opera, I have never seen. No, sorry, Phantom of the Opera was in the nineties. Yeah, it's Terror at the Opera was the eighties, which I have seen. I've never seen the Phantom of the Opera version he did um, in the nineties. So you're lucky. Um, <laughs> well, I won't be because I'm I'm gonna have to watch it. Aren't I? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I know there's a thing. Like, the thing about Argento is that I think of all the and I'll be interested in chatting about it when I do the roundtable. Of all the the masters of horror, I think Argento is the one that I think at some point you clearly see that he doesn't have an interest for actors and actresses. He just has an interest for shots. Yeah. He just wants you know, just wants to get visually interesting shots. Um, and I remember seeing a documentary back in two thousand and seven where that's pretty much what he said. You know, he's like that. I don't care about what actors and actresses do because they're paid to be actors and actresses, so that's their job. So they should show up and do their job. I'm the director. My job is to you know direct the movie, to get the camera angles, to get the shots, and make the movie look good. Their job is to you know act in the movie. And I was like that. I totally see where you're coming from. It kind of helps so if you're on their back. You know, yeah. kind of helps. It kind of helps if you give them a wee bit motivation, um, and I think he there's a, there's an obvious po- point where he just just stops caring about the the kind of actor actress point of view and just does the visual side of things. And on some level, I give him a pass on a lot of things that people would generally shit on because I'm on that. Right, the movie, the acting's awful. Um, <laughs> the scores, the scores quite interesting, and there's at least five or six visually stunning shots. That to me is better than a lot of directors do in the indie genre, or a lot of directors even try and do. There's a lot of movies I've seen that I've got studio back in that I sit and watch and go, I don't understand what you're. We're going to be talking about one actually, yeah. um, just coming up. Um, so I think to myself, yeah, right. At least he's at least he's open to admit he doesn't give a fuck what the actors and actresses are doing. You know what I mean? So I, on some level, I give him a bit of respect and I give him a bit of a pass. There are certain movies I won't give him a pass on, but. Uh, they'll be coming up and it doesn't mean I will eventually have to watch Dracula 3D which is a movie I have not seen yet but I've heard maybe one person say something positive about it but everyone else is shouting it so um, <laughs> that'll be fun yeah I haven't <laughs> seen that one either 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't quite know how I'm going to react. But I'm looking forward to it anyway. At least to say I've watched every movie he's ever done because I've seen seventy five percent of his movies. Um, so there were gaps there. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to checking them out. So uh, we're going to take a very short break. Then uh, when we come back from our short break, we have two news stories for you guys out there. Um, after that, we will be tackling tackling number four on the worst horror remakes list, which is 1998's Psycho. Oh yeah, that movie. Um, And then after that, we will be tackling number four on the best horror remakes list, which is 2013's Maniac. So we'll be right back after this. The News. And welcome back to the news. So two news stories to chat about this week with my special guest, Mr. Gil Rokitansky. The first one is that there has finally been images coming out of what the the and this doesn't really affect us, Gil, because this is an this is an American story uh, for oh, Americans. No. I know, <laughs> but uh, the the Scream Factory complete. Well, I say Scream Factory. It's Anchor Bay and Scream Factory. Um, release of the entire Halloween franchise, the box set um, has landed so they now have, the media now have copies of it and we can now see what it looks like inside and funnily enough, it looks like a large box with all the movies in them. <laughs> Who would have guessed That's what that? I thought. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a big box full of DVDs. <laughs> I saw it and I was like alright, that just looks kind of not what I thought it was going to look like. I, I don't know what I thought it was going to look like but and it maybe doesn't look the most imaginative that they could go with something like that. But then when you're dealing with two different companies that have two different ideas of how they want to do things, maybe the safe bet is just to do something simple. I don't know. Yeah, but it does look like they've taken all of your existing DVDs off the shelf and just stuck them in some cardboard. Well, yeah, the, the, that was the one thing that stood out to me was obviously when Scream Factory have done their their releases of the, the Halloween movies in the past, they have done very much like what Arrow does with their things, they do their own artwork. Um, you can obviously reverse it to get the original artwork, but you get your own artwork and everything looks different and, you know, it goes, it, they look different. You know, they, they look noticeably different from the original kind of artwork or the original side of those movies. These ones look just exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, was, I was a bit underwhelmed, to say the least, but I, but it has landed. And it, it does kind of fling up the, the kind of the wider sort of conversation topic, which I never really went into on this show. And there was a lot of hate flying around on the internet when this got released. Mostly because of the cost, which was, it's, it's in the, the, I think it's over $100. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people saying, well, that's, you know, that's a lot of money to be shelving out on a, on a box set and all the rest. And my opinion was slightly different at the time, so I kind of held back and didn't say anything, because then what I rocked the boat, you know, there was a lot of people enjoying venting on things. And, you know, I'm, I don't like to to rock the boat. Sometimes I just like to sit back and see where the pennies fall. Um, and at the time I thought, yes, it's quite a lot of money. And yeah, that is probably, you know, the the ratio of good films to bad films in that franchise is clearly skewed towards bad films. Um, there's, there's, there's only, there's maybe only three or four from that franchise that I really like. There's a couple that I think are okay and the majority of them I don't like. Um, yeah. 
that when it got announced, but but my point at the time was right. You don't like it, however, there are people out there whose favorite franchise is Halloween, or you know they they're big fans of those films. And you know if a company's prepared to do this in a way, would bring in two different companies together, where generally there would be these sort of hurdles in the past actually coming together to put out something like this. Should we not kind of be behind it? Maybe not on the price. Maybe even if you're not going to buy it. But applaud the fact that you've got two completely different distributors coming together to do something like this. Because there's plenty of other franchises out there that you would sit and say, well, there's no chance we'll ever get a box set of that because half of them are owned by Paramount and half of them are owned by New Line or, or whatnot. The fact that this has been brought together, if this does work on any level, it might give a bit more of a chance for some more of these box sets to come along. Um, whilst I don't intend to buy it, because like I say, there's I've, there's only a few movies I like out of that, and you can buy them individually on Blu-ray, so I'd much rather buy them. Um, and that's one franchise I don't feel I need to be a completist about, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's one that I'm not sitting there saying, oh, I need to get five and six. Uh, you know, I'm not like that. Um, I, I mean, that, that's just my, my take on it. I, I was wondering, because we're, we're, we're the other side of the pond here, so it's not it's not going to be appearing in our shops anytime soon um, yeah. in our region format. So I mean, what was your take on it? Uh, the ones that I like, I've bought in Poundland. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much my take on the Halloween series. <laughs> I I own Halloween. I own Halloween two. I think I own Halloween three, mm-hmm. and I for some strange reason own both the Rob Zombie ones. <laughs> I, I mean I saw that first one at the cinema and I didn't hate it it's only on it's only on other watches since that I'm like I don't there's, I, I think the more I think if I just settled with that one watch I would have been happy but I think mm. I think the more I watch it the more I, I start to pick holes in it and that's my that's my own fault um, I sit there and start picking things and the second movie I thought was a bit of a hot mess, if I'm being honest. The second one was a mess. And people keep telling me, what I really need to do is check out the director's cut, because that is better. But to be honest with you, that would mean sitting down and watching the movie again. And I'm not in any hurry. With all the other movies I've got to watch, it's not something I'm going to be rushing out to check out, if you know what I mean. I got the director's cut in Poundland, and to be honest, I didn't really see all that much difference from the horribly disappointing film that I'd previously watched. Yeah, but yeah. I thought the first one wasn't too bad. I mean, some, not, of, yeah. some of the expansions of the story do work. Mm-hmm. Some of them just don't at yeah. all. You know, but it's the same in the original film as well. They they don't really explain how he's been locked up for so long and knows how it's to drive. He <laughs> knows how to drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched them on the TV and it was simple. But then uh, a lot of American cars are easier are to drive. Yeah, yeah, so. they are easier to drive. They, they wouldn't, that wouldn't fly over here. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the first couple of Halloween films are really, really good. But well, uh, you, you guys are um, the guys I come back to and credit for my my uh, newfound love for, for Halloween 3. Because I saw that when I was quite a bit younger um, and I remember hating it. And I think it was... I think you must have been doing a show. I think it was your show where you picked... Um, 
like uh, franchises, but you didn't go with the first one you picked. Like yeah, once. yeah, I me- remember that show. Yep. Oh, that was Freddy versus Jason versus Michael. Yeah, yeah, and and at that time, I remember Roscoe put a question out, basically saying, you know, what's what would you say is the worst um, movie in a franchise? And I, I remember sitting there thinking, you know, I'd, I, the obvious ones were already going up, like your, you know, your. Uh, <laughs> your Jason, well, your Jason takes Manhattan was already up there and things like that. So um, I was sitting and I, I went that. I went, I'm gonna put Halloween three. And um, <laughs> I think I think Roscoe's exact words were, "My my dear sweet um, and completely wrong Duncan, <laughs> um, you need to, uh, that movie's awesome." And I was like, well, "I've not seen it since I was like eleven or something." And he's like, "You really need to go back and check it out." And I checked out again and fucking loved it. Um, absolutely loved it. I just ticked every box for me so um yeah so yeah i think i think on that one i like the first three for sure i don't mind parts of four uh five i don't like i'm not a big fan of six if i'm being honest um and you know the h2o was kind of cool to an extent i think (laughs) some bits were pretty cool yeah and a resurrection i saw at the cinema so (laughs) That's got Katie Sackhoff in it. Yeah, and that's disappointing because I really like her. I just can't watch that fucking film. Yeah, it's got uh, martial arts Buster Rhymes as well. Um, oh god, <laughs> don't remind me. So yeah, I, I, I think it's like I say on the basis of the movies. Yeah, it's not something I'm going to rush out and check out. But I quite dig the idea that on some level it looks like some distributors might be teaming up to, to kind of finally bring things out in complete box sets for those that are the collector you know those that really do like specific franchises from start to finish you wouldn't see back past that are completists the fact you can get something and it's all in that uniform fashion where it all fits in a nice wee box and it all looks right um i'm done with that it's, like i say it's not something i'll be checking out um but they will use that as an excuse to put the prices up because they know that it's for the collectors. Of course, of course. And But the, then I think to myself, sites like Scream Factory and Arrow, not so much Arrow, but Arrow do collectors box sets and they are quite expensive. I mean, they're, they're putting out the Winnell and I um, collectors edition box set and I think it's £50. And it's one movie that's in that. <laughs> you know, so... Mm. Um, but they're limited to 200 of... Uh, there's four different versions of it and each are limited to 200. Um, and I'm under no no uh, you know disbelief that at any point it won't sell out. All those boxes will sell out. And I love that movie, but I'm not spending that amount of money just to have it on Blu-ray. I, I, I couldn't, couldn't justify it. But then I could justify spending $80 on the Nightbreed. Um, so it just depends what you're in there, I suppose. <laughs> Baby gotta have shoes. Yeah. <laughs> the second thing I wanted to talk about, the second story is I don't know if you've checked this out yet, but have you managed to check the trailer for the Time That Dreaded Sundown remake? I haven't because I'm starting to really fall out of love with a lot of remakes. Right. And they just seem so tired and just... <laughs> Well you've come to the right show. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> well, um the 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 trailer has been released. I think if you get a chance, it might be worthwhile checking it out. Purely because this seems, for better or worse, like a different sort of remake, if, if that makes sense. So, um, for those that don't know, 
let me give you some information because the Ten That Dreaded Sundown remake, the trailer went up last week. Um, so it's directed by um, Alfonso Gomez Rayon, um, or Rajon, um, from American Horror Story, and um, it has. Uh, some producer names that you might know. Jason Blum from Blumhouse is obviously involved. But uh, Ryan Murphy, who also did uh, American Horror Story and Nip Tuck and stuff, are behind this project as well. And it's a slightly different kind of remake. It's, uh, it's, it's not what you would expect. They're not remaking the original film. The synopsis is, based on a terrifying true story, the sound that dreaded... Uh, sorry, the sound? That's not right. <laughs> based on a terrifying true story, the town that dreaded sundown picks up 65 years after the masked serial killer terrorised the small town of Texarkana, when the Moonlight Murders began again. Is a copycat or something even more sinister doing this? A lonely high school girl with dark secrets of her own may be the key to catching the murderer. So this is set 65 years on in Texarkana, but what they do is every year they play the movie, the town that dread the original, the town that dreaded sundown. It's like part of it. It's almost like a meta thing. Isn't this uh, Scream Three? Kinda. <laughs> one, of the, one of the Scream films where the the kids in the town are just always every year watching. The Scream the 4, that's film. right. It's, yeah, it's, it's Scream 4, yeah. So, yeah, that's essentially what they're doing here. So, it's... Um, it also it's, reminds me a little bit of that synopsis of the TV series Pretty Little Liars. Pretty Little Liars. Uh, refresh my memory, Gil. I started to watch it. I think I watched maybe the first season and the, a bit of the second one, but it's... Uh, it's a another one of these teen dramas where oh, people, right. have got their, people have got their secrets and there's there's some people get injured and uh, it's actually it wasn't too bad I just kind of I lost interest and now it's up to season four oh, and right. it's it's got a spin-off series as well I'm just not paying any attention <laughs> <laughs> you get to a certain age where you feel a little bit creepy watching. TV shows about teenage girls in America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a gossip girl. I'm not a gossip girl. <laughs> I mean, I, were you ever... Because the thing about the town of Ray Sundown is, um, I saw, I think it was two years ago, um, I, I checked this movie out. And it is quite a weird movie. It, there's, a, there's a tone in it which is very... I mean, it came out in the seventies, but there's a there's a there's a tone in it which is kind of twee. <laughs> yeah, if we can use that, it's a strange, strange movie. There's almost like a, a level of kind of almost kind of camp comedy that runs through that movie, which is kind of weird. Um, that I was surprised when anyone said they were going to even like do like a remake. And it, like I say, it's not technically a remake, um, but it is at the same time. Um, but when I heard that, you know, Ryan Murphy and uh, the, the other dude were going to be involved, knowing what American Horror Story's been like, which you could throw the same thing at it as kind of twee and sometimes quite camp and all the rest, I thought, you know, well, these guys are, are having quite a lot of success on the telly. Um, I'm a big fan of American Horror Story. That you know, did, I would. Did wa- you finish season three? Yes, did finally. Because <laughs> I still haven't. I, ah, I, I, I finish it. Finish it. Don't don't let. I, I mean, I I I kind of. I wasn't. See, I didn't. I didn't mind that third season. I just thought it not 
it's not Asylum. That was that was instantly what kind of was in the back of my head. It, it didn't have the same tone as Asylum at all. Yeah. Um, and once I kind of got my head around that, you know, they're talking about teenage witches and, you know, I did have a kind of weird kind of 90s The Craft sort of feel about the show. Um, and I kinda, once I kind of got my head in that sort of place, I kind of ran with it, even though Stevie Nicks was making far too many appearances. Um, <laughs> so I, I got to a certain point where I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm... I'm going to enjoy this. And once I kind of let myself go with it, I actually started to enjoy quite a lot of the absolute bananas things that happened on screen. Um, and I put off, I, I, the initial reactions I heard, particularly from one of our colleagues over at uh, Devour the Podcast, when he said, you know, it was an awful ending and all the rest. And I stopped. Um, and I kind of put it on the, the shelf for the best part of six months. Um, and it was only a couple of months ago I sat down and watched it. I didn't mind it. I thought it wrapped up everything. I thought it tied everything up in a neat bow. Um, and didn't mind it at all. And I would, I would quite like to watch that season again and watch all, and then watch the, the final episode in context as of, you know, watching every single episode back to back. So, um, yeah, I quite, I quite liked it. And definitely Freak Show looks like it's certainly going back to that kind of aesthetic that you got um, with Asylum in terms of how fucking insane some of the, the promotional work that's coming out for that the promos and stuff like that I've seen look really quite dark and um, that will obviously be more in line with that so um, those guys those guys going on to do anything will get my attention anyway they built up a lot of goodwill with me um, and watching the town that dreaded sundown the trailer for the the kind of reboot remake or whatever they're classing it as um, it just looks like they're doing something a wee bit different with it Um it looks, it looks, it actually looks really well shot as well. That I'm, I'm not saying I'm wanting to rush out and check it out, but um, I'm not, I'm not as. Uh, this is not one of these movies that I'm. It's not like Maniac. See when the Maniac remake got announced, yeah. I about threw my laptop across the room. How dare you! Um, but then, then you saw the first five minutes. Saw the first five online. minutes, and I was like, "Oh dear God, I need to see this whole movie get in my eye sockets now." Um, so. Yeah, this this is one. The Tenet Ray Sundown was never one of these movies. I was like, you cannot touch this movie. Um, I don't mind it. I don't. I don't hold it that close to myself that I wouldn't. You know, I would get upset about it. And from what I see, at least they're trying to go in a slightly different direction. What most people do, whether that works or not, time will tell. Um, but I don't know about you, Gil. But I think um, we're talking about remakes that kind of upset us. And might be. It might be time. Might be time to. Uh, to dig out a certain uh, cycle remake. <laughs> oh, right. And, uh, <laughs> I, and um, I think I think you you guys out there are going to get the trailer right now. And when me and Gil return, oh well, it's a uh, cycle from 1998. Right after this. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss, kiss the, the goats. Goat. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. 
Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com. best friend is his mother. <laughs> she just, uh, she just goes a little mad sometimes. <laughs> mother! Oh, God! Mother! And welcome back. You have just heard the trailer for the 1998 remake of Psycho. So, like we've been doing on every show thus far during the remakes, we have been chatting briefly about the original movie, and then we'll go on and talk about the remake. So the original came out in 1960. It was directed by the maestro, uh, Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. Um, It was based on the Robert Block novel. Um, and starred most most notably uh, Anthony Perkins, uh, Vera Miles, John Gavin, Janet Lee, and other folk. Um, I'm not going to go too much into that. The original synopsis was a Phoenix secretary steals $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run and checks into a motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. So, I mean, the original... We, we don't need to say to him, I, I, I think you're hard pushed to find horror fans that haven't checked out Psycho. Well, yeah. Yeah, dedicated horror fans that haven't checked out Psycho. And I mean, it pretty much is flawless as a movie, in my opinion anyway. I think uh, Hitchcock, especially at his time, when that movie came out, he just delivered something that people weren't expecting and hadn't seen before. Um, and... I, you know, it gives. The, the, I think one of the reasons the film works so well is I think Anthony Perkins really does kind of feel like the boy next door. You know, he does feel like, um, like when you meet him, he does feel quite meek and mild mannered, and um, I think that I think that's one of the things that really he's believable. Is, he is thing. believable. He is believable. And when we go on to chat about the remake, I think that's that's one of the things that I struggle with is the casting. 
Um, and it's not because I, I think Vince Vaughn is not a good actor, because uh, that's that's not the truth. I think you watch a film like Swingers, um, yeah, he's, he's he's really good in that. I just think he's in later days, especially now, he's a lazy actor. But at, at the time, I thought he was going to. But at no point do I believe that he is the guy next door. At no point do I believe that, um, and that's one of the things I struggle to get my hand around. Obviously, uh, Janet Lee's in this one. You have the iconic shower sequence, which, uh, with the score, has has meant that even people that haven't seen this movie know when they hear, hee, 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 <laughs> you know, they, they put their hand up to do the, 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 the stabbing motion, even though they've not, that's how far it's moved into the kind of public consciousness. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a phenomenal movie. I love every, pretty much everything about it. Uh, I recently saw it on Blu-ray, and it's one of the most beautiful Blu-rays cuts I've ever seen because it's in black and white, and you know, it just it just phenomenal, just phenomenal. Um, you were watching it today yeah. before you started doing this. I mean, I, you you will have seen this movie many times, like myself. What kind of feel did you get looking back over it again? I was so happy to be watching it after the remake, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it was it was like wading through shit and then having a nice bath. <laughs> Pretty much, but it's also it's got a wee tiny link to Halloween as well, because uh, John Gavin plays Sam Loomis, uh huh, and of course Donald Pleasant is Doctor Samuel Loomis. Samuel Loomis, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know if that is actually intentional, but I did always like that when I noticed it. But yeah, this this film is just superb in every single way, mm. but even just the way it's shot and there's some bits of it like the the bit where he's disposing of Janet Lee's body mm-hmm. it's just such a nice long slow scene and just he doesn't have to speak you know yeah. you don't you don't need him fussing about too much you just mm-hmm. he just does what he has to do and you feel sympathetic towards him as well i think that's yeah. the the major difference between these two versions of the film is that Anthony Perkins is a very sympathetic character, and mm-hmm. you know even more so in uh, Psycho Two, yes. which which initially I thought I would never want to watch that because I'd seen Psycho when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. And you know it's it kind of ties everything up really. Yeah. You know he's they make it pretty clear that. You know, at the end, the psychiatrist, I think he says, I don't think that Norman will ever be back. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get this sequel where he's normal mm-hmm. again and being released. And at first, when you're watching it, you think, oh, nah, they shouldn't have bothered doing this. But I think they did a decent enough job of following on the story because Lila Crane comes back yes. into it. Yep. And that's, that's why that works. But, yeah... It's one of the few times where somebody else making a sequel to an iconic film actually really works for me. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd, I really I only saw the sequel last year for the first time. Um, very much like yourself, I, I know I love that movie so much that uh, the original cycle that I had no real kind of need to to check out anything. I knew that obviously Anthony Perkins had been back and he'd done he'd done several sequels. Um, yeah. And I, I checked out, and I I think the second one's a lot of, a lot of fun. I really really like it, and that ending is absolutely brilliant. I love yeah. I love the the vicious turn that that ending has, which 
is not necessarily in keeping with the rest of that movie, and I think that's why it works. Um, yeah. Because you just don't expect it. Um, so, I mean, we can see a lot of love for the original. So, <laughs> let me let me fast forward, Gil, to uh, a later thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. 1998, and um, a, a, a Duncan McLeish who's just at high school, uh, well, sorry, he's, he's got a year left in high school, in fact, not even a year, half a year left in high school, goes to see Psycho in the cinema, um, and he goes in feeling quite optimistic about this movie because Gus Van Sant's directing it, he's a director that, you know, younger Duncan... It's quite interested to check out his work. He's heard a lot of good things. Um, it stars Vince Vaughn, who's an actor that he is aware of. Um, it has Julianne Moore, who is an actress that he is aware of. It has Viggo Mortensen, who he didn't really know much about. And William H. Macy, someone who he really did quite like for all his bizarre roles. Um, and, you know, the synopsis for this movie is a young female embezzler arrives at the Bates Motel, which has terrible secrets of its own. Now, um, do you have a preference? Do you want to lead on this review, or do you want to lead on the Maniac review? <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you first swing here. What, what would you rather kick off on? Well, I feel like I've been far too nice about a lot of films recently, so fuck it, I'll lead on this one. <laughs> right, go, right, go, go for it. Firstly, tell me the first time you saw this movie, and then tell me kind of what you felt revisiting it. Um, this week, and just just kind of tell me how you think this is a terrible remake. I would probably have seen this for the first time. I think I saw it on DVD, not uh-huh. that long after it came out, so probably about ninety nine. Mm-hmm. And you know, initially when you put it on, it's it's nicely stylized, and the whole idea that it's a shot for shot remake, mm-hmm. you think, oh, this could be quite interesting. This isn't just a director trying to do his own take on the story. It's them trying to recreate all of these fantastic aspects of a an iconic film. And mm. I, when I was a kid, like in nineteen ninety I was in LA and I went on I went to Universal and we were on the tour and you see the house there and just being physically next to the Bates Motel mm-hmm. just looks incredible and I was kind of looking forward to seeing that in colour again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as the film goes on, you, you've got some really nice bits and then it gets to basically Vince Vaughn. Who <laughs> <laughs> seems to just be playing the character as a bit of a dick. <laughs> you know he's he's not sympathetic in any way and he he seems a little bit rapey yeah Anthony Perkins <laughs> seems uh, kind of disjointed from the world and curious but at the same time timid yeah and then all of a sudden you get this horrible thing where Gus Van Sant went why don't you have a wank don't yeah. <laughs> don't just look through the hole have a wank yeah and that just completely destroys it and then all the way through the rest of the film you're just thinking oh just 
fucking catch him. Just catch him now. Just kill him. And it's mm. got a good cast as well. It does. That's the thing. That's the really surprising thing about this remake. Is on paper, the cast is really fucking strong. Mm. I love Julianne Moore. Mm-hmm. So I do, uh, I've got quite a crush on her. <laughs> <laughs> as most people should. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it just... It's, it's a film that maybe if you showed somebody the first two minutes of it in a compare and contrast with the original, they'd be interested in watching the rest of it because for well, even the scene where her boss is walking across the street and sees her, even the colorization in that, it looks like it's been intentionally colored to look like vertigo. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they would say, I want to watch this whole film, and then they would hate you forever. People should be warned not to watch this. Just watch the original because it is superior in every way. And you end up not even caring that it's shot for shot because you don't even really notice it. It's, It's like there's something that's been done when they've been filming it where it just seems like they've spent so much time trying to frame everything that they... They haven't paid attention to the little nuances that make the original so good. Yeah. And if you watch the the Hitchcock movie that Anthony Hopkins is in, yeah, and it's all about the the time when he's making Psycho. Psycho, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and the problems that he had in the editing were initially he thought this looks absolutely terrible, and the whole film was recut. They they're recreating something that was made from an already flawed product. Yeah. But they're just they just don't have the passion or anything in it. There's there's something that is just completely and utterly lacking from this entire film. And you can't quite put your finger on it all the way through. But just Vince Vaughn just drags it down into a fucking cesspit that it can never come out of. (laughs) It just feels like I just think it feels like an uncomfortable movie. You know what I mean? It, it feels not not uncomfortable as in I feel uncomfortable watching it because I do. That's because it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but the 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 just everyone looks really awkward. Like everyone in this movie feels awkward. I mean, William H Macy, who's I, I still say is one of the more interesting character actors um, in kind of modern American cinema. I think he's really good at just plain, strange, kind of quirky, uh, mostly cowardly sort of characters at the best of times mm-hmm. but um, you know they, they put him in, in such a kind of strong role in this movie um, which you know that he, he is arbogast and um, it, it just it kind of feels and the, the funny thing about it is you, you then jump forward a couple of years and then you have American Cycle and then you have Willem Dafoe playing you know the, the, the detective in that one and the two roles are not that far apart on how they're acted. Yep. But Defoe but, is fucking incredible. Yeah, in D- that. Defoe just captures it and, and plays it. The, the two roles are so similar. And, and, and the original Arborcast, if I was to say you the original Arborcast performance and then say Willem Defoe and, and American Psycho, you would say those characters are completely different. They're completely different characters. And William H. Macy kind of plays Arborcast as kind of this. Quirky knows more than he, you know, he's letting on cops sort of thing, but in a really awkward way, which I don't necessarily th- fit, think fits this movie. Yeah. I don't think any of the performances 
particularly fit this movie. Um, they all just kind of feel like they're, you know, they've just finished reading the script and they've just shown up on set and this is their first take. Um, yeah. It's, it's a disjointed, weird feel. And it's, I, I totally back up what you say. The linchpin of of the, 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 the problems with this movie, first and foremost, start with Vince Vaughn. Um, and it, it's it's a big it's a big casting problem, and I know a lot of people have flung accusations at a movie like The Shining, which is like one of my favorite horror movies, one of my favorite movies of all time. And um, Stephen King will always say that one of the reasons he hates that adaptation is that in the book, his Jack Torrance is you know is not insane. He builds to a level of insanity. Mm-hmm. He's not a lunatic at the start, and when he watches the film. From the opening moment, Jack Nicholson feels unhinged, and that performance is like it doesn't for him. It doesn't work. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that sells the movie because I can see Jack Torrance being he's a he's a writer. He's quite a passionate, quite intense guy, and all the rest. So I just roll with that. that at the beginning of that movie, he already looks like he's a wee bit unhinged. So to me, it's no it's no big surprise in that movie when he completely becomes unhinged because he's already kind of there. Yeah. Vince Vaughn, from the first time you meet him, seems like a guy that's unhinged, and that you know that is totally not the Norman Bates character. It's so far removed from Norman Bates that the whole the whole point of that character is that when the reveal comes, it is so juxtaposed against the character you've seen throughout the movie that you know you're shocked by that transformation. Yeah, and I mean anyone that was going to see this movie, I would say probably knew what the twist was. <laughs> you know. Psycho had been around for a long time, um, but that to me still doesn't mean that you can you can if you're going to do a shot excuse me a shot for shot remake like Gus Van Sant said and he was going to put them all and they were going to be reading pretty much the same lines and if you're going to do it that way then at least get an actor that fits the bill don't get someone who who from the foot like you say when you see him you think well he looks a bit rapey <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> And then you, you tag in this, you tag, if, if you're going to do shot for shot, don't then add sequences. Don't add the weird, fucking strange, awkward masturbation sequence um, yep. with people through the hole. Because that's not in the original. So, so it, it's, it's, it's what do you believe? Do you believe the artistic credibility of a, a director who says that he wants to do shot for shot, but recast it and do it in colour? Um, which sounds quite interesting as a premise. premise. But then, I can't take that it's a credible thing where I see some of the casting choices, some of the performance choices, and then scenes that are flung in. Because that scene is shoved into shock. That's the yeah. only reason that's in that movie, is to try and shock you. Um, and I think that, you know, any goodwill he has for all his intentions is shot as soon as that sequence happens. What, goodwill hunting? Yeah. <laughs> but J- James Remar, uh, I just remembered there from looking at the cast list, like he's... Uh-huh. He's playing the T one thousand, pretty much. Like in the <laughs> when you watch the original, when the the highway patrolman pulls up at the car, yeah, there's, there's this kind of bit of concern that he's got, and he's kind of he's made curious by her kind of awkwardness. Yeah, but James Remar just seems like he's automatically just incredibly suspicious. And Straight from the off, yeah. yeah it's like the, in the original, the cop kind of pulls over just to to see why she's at the side of the road. And, yep. you know, just 
just to check everything's okay. When you watch the remake, you get the feeling as soon as he turns up that she's done something that's illegal. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it is. There's, a, there's something. It's like you see, and I think that's one of the cool things about the 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 patrolman in that movie and the original movie is the fact that it's only through his conversation with her that he starts to get the feeling. Because I mean, that's police officers are supposed to have this. You know, they're supposed to be attuned to a level that they can pick out body language and things like that and uh, the more they speak the more he gets the feeling there's something wrong and you are right as soon as James Remar pulls up it's instantly you're guilty and uh, once again that's that's tonally wrong it's yeah. tonally wrong for this movie um, and it just it's just like I don't know how you can get so much wrong I mean like, see see when like my, one of my big gripes with remakes in general is that what a director will do is they'll say, I'm going to remake this movie and or a studio decide they want a movie remade and they get someone in and what they do is they focus on the wrong things, right? So, um, for example, I recently spoke about Nightmare on Elm Street on one of the shows and to me, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake doesn't work because they just don't get it. They just focus on the wrong things yeah. in, in the remake and they overlook what makes that original an interesting movie. And what they, Or even things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre where they focus on abnormal amounts of gore when the original doesn't have any. Yeah. And things like that. You know, it's, they, they focus on the wrong things and that's, that's where they seem to go. But there are elements in it which kind of work, and all of them they kind of work. This movie just doesn't work. It's like how, when you are basically taking your whole premise is that you're going to remake it. You're you're not you're not reimagining it. You're not to you you know you're remaking this movie and you're doing it shot for shot. How can you get everything wrong? I know. How can you yeah? How can you get everything? How how is everything about this movie? Not right. How how do I not believe Norman Bates? How am I looking at Julianne Moore, who who's got a fucking Oscar? You know what I mean? Yeah. How am I looking at her, going, I I don't believe your character. I don't know why you're here. Um, how can you know, Flea be the most believable actor in the film? <laughs> <laughs> how the fuck is that even possible? That's when you know your movie's gone right off the deep end, doesn't yeah. it? That's that, that's when you know you should shoot, just shout cut. Wrap the set and go home. Um, it just it. And who thought of that in the first place? Were they going, we're going to remake Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Who are we going to get to play Bob that works in the shop with Sam? Why don't we get the basis for the Red Hot Chili Peppers? He was. A, he's he was, so strong in the Fight to the Future movies. I was about to say he's in a lot of. See, especially in the nineties, he pops up in loads of. I don't know what was happening there. I don't know what information he had over certain directors that he was blackmailing with. But Flea appears in a lot of things and Like the Chase. I yeah the chase. the chase. I mean the Chase has got Henry Rollins as a cop. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> a, actually I want to see if that's on Netflix now because That's a fucking brilliant movie. Yep. There's there you go. Listen, Gary, if you're listening to this, I want to do me and Gil want in on a commentary on the chase. Yep. <laughs> make that make that fucking happen, right? The you chase. Know, you know the, the list of commentaries gets longer by the hour. <laughs> well, that one's going in there, right? Me and Gil want on that, right? That, that's that's a must. That's an absolute must. Five um, years time, there's going to be like two drink minimum commentaries. The next generation <laughs> still still working off the hour fucking list. <laughs> <laughs> and we only started compiling it about four days ago. 
Oh fuck! Oh man! Okay, but you, you, you know what? It's like you get to that stage where you're just like, "Oh, and we should do this movie." Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like you say, Flea is probably the only believable. I don't even want to finish the sentence. The only, believe, <laughs> the only believable character, it just is, is just a mess. Like, but not a mess as in. And in the previous episode, me and Jamie said that the Black Christmas remake was a mess. Because it's a messy movie. There's so many things not tied up and it goes off in so many different directions that don't make sense and they don't tie anything in together. And when they do try and tie it in, it's overly complicated and convoluted. This one doesn't have that excuse because they don't deviate really other than the, the, like we said before, the unfortunate masturbation sequence or that. They're not really adding things into this one. It just feels... You know what this kind of feels like to me? It kind of feels like if someone had put Psycho the movie into some sort of machine that could power animatronics and then the animatronics replayed the movie back, that's what it feels like. Everything feels very robotic about this movie. There's no fluid... Like you say, the Hitchcock one, you know, he's went back, he's recut it and he's made it. That movie flows so well. Yeah. Such a such a smooth flowing movie. This one is jaggy. Every movement's jaggy in it, and it's just, it's just terrible. I just really, really, I can't. I honestly, it's like you say, if anyone's ever, if anyone ever, I mean, and the thing is, things like Bates Motel, the television program, is a big thing now. And the last thing I would ever want is someone, someone younger, watching Bates Motel and saying, "I need to find out about this cycle," and this is the movie they watch yeah. because it's just. It's just bad. And like I say, the the cast list, you've got uh, Philip Baker Hall, who's a fucking really good actor. Robert Forster's in this. Yep. Um, I love him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, and I can, I can imagine this. I can imagine a, a studio saying, we're going to do a Psycho remake. We're going to get Gus Van Sant in here, who, you know, is seen as a quite an arty director. Um, we're, you know, we're going to fling him in there. And I can imagine actors up and down Hollywood clambering for this script. You know, I want to be part of this. This is this is Hollywood history. And then showing up, and I would imagine that most of them leave this off resumes <laughs> or yeah. don't talk about it ever. Because it it's just such a... It's just an awful movie. It's just really, really, really fucking awful. Is there anything else you want to say about this, Gil? Or, uh, well, we'll move on to something that'll make us a bit happier. Yeah, well, listen, it's like if you were going to go and see your favourite band... And they've been replaced by the animatronic band from Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> and you're supposed to accept it. That's what this film is. It's just, it's fucking pointless. So yeah. it is, and it's it's just so fucking disappointing on every single level. Yeah. Buy it and then give it to somebody that you think's a cunt. <laughs> and make sure when you hand it to them, you tell sure them you, you love them. them. Yeah, I, I I saw this and thought of you. Yeah. There you go. There you are with a bow made of shit on it. Um, so, <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah, that's been a review of Psycho from 1998, uh, and hopefully neither myself or yourself will ever have to indulge that movie with any time again, Gil. It never, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> Never ever. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a very short break. You're going to hear the trailer for the 2013 remake of Maniac. And this is one I'm really looking forward to chatting about. Um, 
some guys already know I've already done a review of this movie back at Christmas, but I didn't do it with Gil, so yeah. <laughs> I've, right. I've already done a review of this that I can't That's remember right. either. It was the night that we went to see it. You went to Stash Right, I remember that show. Yeah. That's 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 a that that was when I was like, I need to try and track this movie down because yours was the first review I heard of it, which was positive. So um, I was like, I need to see this movie now. Uh, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, it's Maniac time. Right after this. Hey kids, do you like horror movies? Do you like podcasts? Do you like people called Gil and Roscoe? If you do, you're going to love Gil and Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast! Every week, you'll join your hosts, Gil and Roscoe, who'll discuss a range of topics, including juice drinks, alcoholic drinks, lollipops, bobby socks, Robocop, uncomfortable chairs, Comfortable chairs. It sounds absolutely nothing like our podcast. Um, well, it, it should be a representation of our podcast, so we should start off with the pure cheesy intro and then just uh-huh. be like, actually, no, that, that sounded way too upbeat for us. Yeah. <laughs> There's some dead classy music in the background and people would think we're really high class gentlemen. We are high class gentlemen. That's just not what our podcast sounds like. Right. So that's Gil and Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. Look for us on iTunes, Facebook and Twitter. So, what do you do? Are you an artist? I don't know about all that. Maybe you can tell me. I see you too. I have a surprise for you. Please! Help me! Please don't scream. You're so beautiful. It's amazing. I love them. Sometimes I think that they have more personality than most people. So what does your girlfriend think of your work? I, I don't have a girlfriend. You never feel lonely? That's, that's why I was calling. You and Anna are a perfect fit. You know, <laughs> hair is the only part of the body that lasts forever. Why are you scared? <laughs> what? They will never understand. As long as you keep a secret. But if you can't... You'll be alone. You hear that? A lot of you. Alone. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for the 2013 remake of Maniac. Now, you will know I've said 2013. Um, the movie, I think, officially was released 
at festivals and things like that in 2012, but it never got released in the UK in 2013, so fuck you. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's what I'm sticking with. It was Thanks, a Obamacare. <laughs> can, can Brits use that as well? Because if we can, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm just going to go over there and just rip the piss out of it. <laughs> i just got these images of... Of, uh, <laughs> of Americans walking about place going, thanks, Alex Salmond. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Right, anyway, uh, the original Maniac, for those that don't know, came out in 1980. It was directed by William Lustig um, and was compiled by a screenplay which was kind of worked on by Joe Spinell and C.A. Rosenberg and other folk. Um, the movie starred Joe Spinell, um, Funny that, he wrote the script and then casted himself in the main role. <laughs> Quite weird. Oh, <laughs> um, if only we could all do that. If only we could all do that, yeah. Uh, the movie also starred people like Tom Savini, Caroline Monroe, Abigail Clayton, Kelly Piper, Rita Mon- Montone? Montone? She's monotone. She's monotone. Uh, she was also a hooker in it. A monotone hooker. There you go. Um, and other folk. The synopsis was, A psychotic man troubled by his childhood abuse, loose in New York City, kills young women and takes their scalps as trophies. Will he find the perfect woman in photographer Anna and end his killing spree? Question mark. Um, this is a movie I was... <sighs> Not late to the party. I remember checking this movie out when I worked in a uh, video store many, many moons ago. Um, purely on the case. The case sold this movie to me. Um, I did not know at the time, obviously, of the its links to things like uh, the video's nasties list and all the rest. You know, that that didn't cross my mind. I remember watching it and loving it, though. Yeah. Because unlike the other slashers of its time, and this movie is a slasher, but isn't... Yeah, as a slasher, but isn't a slasher, but as a slasher, um, it has such a gritty feel that on some level it actually felt like real life. You know, like when I was watching it, it just felt really there was a a really uneasy kind of thing going on with this movie. I think uh, Joe Spinell's portrayal of Frank Zito, when I saw it, I thought it really worked. Um, I have since slightly changed my opinion on that. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why, Gil. Uh, <laughs> um, tell me. <laughs> in the remake, I think, and we're going to go into this, in the remake, I think the casting is really clever because whilst Elijah Wood still looks a wee bit creepy um, and slightly malnutrition um, has set in with him, he looks like he's malnourished, um, I can understand how he would be around women of a certain attractive level, right? That yeah. makes sense to me. Joe Spinell looking the way he does does not make sense to me in that movie. How he seems to be able to be, you know, how women are looking at him and just saying, "Oh, look at him, he's dreamy." I can't wait. I can't wait to hug those layers. Um, you know what I mean? There's, there's something uh, that that to me just. I think it's that sweat all over me. <laughs> yeah, look at the way he's heavy breathing over that pizza. That's love right there. Um, you know, there's there's a certain. I think his performance is brilliant in it. I think he really does a, a really, really convincing job of someone that is completely losing their mind. I think he, I think he, he's got that down par. I just don't necessarily believe some of the scenarios he's put in. Yeah. I, you know, it just doesn't necessarily work for me. I've also said it's funny. I spoke to a, a, an acquaintance of ours, Jamie Jenkins, about the ending. 
And um, it's funny because uh, the the guys over at Big Horror and Little Podcast have just finished talking about Maniac and they had raised something that I had said in a previous podcast was that I find the ending a bit strange, right? Which is funny because the ending in the Maniac remake is a bit strange. But <laughs> I, I don't particularly like the ending to the original Maniac because the police bust in the door. And he's and killed himself. He's killed himself. And the police walk out. And then yeah. camera pans forward and he gives a wee wink because um, he's not dead. Or and it, then it comes up on the screen, maniac. Yeah, yeah, right. So, like, yeah, like I didn't need to. Man's a fucking fool. <laughs> but this is, and what I said was I didn't believe the kind of police characters in there. And um, this kind of sparked off a debate on their podcast where they basically said, well, you know, it's the 1980s, the police are overstretched, crime's rampant. Why would the police not walk away to maybe go and call back up and all the rest? And I'm not disputing that. What I'm disputing is they bust the door down, they see him apparently dead, and no one checks that he's actually dead. He's a a psychotic killer. If I was a policeman and I walked into a room, I would at least check his pulse. And I just think that that to me is one of these things that stands out as being... as one of the things that that has always niggled me. It's always been a minor gripe. And I, I, I stress, I love... The 1980 Maniac. I think it's fucking brilliant. But that to me has always been something where I thought, I don't know, that seems a bit strange. Um I, I, Tenebrae as well, though. It does happen in Tenebrae. But in fairness with Tenebrae, he, the, the guy actually sees the action of him cutting his neck. He doesn't know yeah. it's a fake knife. In the case of this one, when the police come in, he's just lying on the bed. You know what I mean? It's like, go over and check him out. You know, go, someone go over and at least feel his... But someone go over and actually see if you can see an injury because... He just can, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shoot him in the kneecap. Uh, I mean, that's slightly... put, But it's New York in the 1980s. I'm sure they would have got away with that. Um, th- there's a lot to love about the original as well. Specifically, Tom Savini's head explosion is one of the finest things ever. Um, yeah. It's just fucking so nasty and pulpy and explosive and lovely. Red and red, yeah. Um, you know that that's really good. I I love the fact that the New York City itself adds to everything in this movie. Every setting just has that kind of grimy, you know, eighties like late seventies, early eighties New York thing that makes it feel like an unseasonably nasty place to be. All yeah. the time, it's um, like taxi driver or bad lieutenant. Yes, these things like kind of you can you can look at the character, wonder why the character, you know, why is this character such a fucking messed up person? And you look at the surroundings and go, right, it's not too difficult to believe that someone growing up in this environment with certain things happening would end up that way. Especially when you look about everything else that's happening around them, there's that kind of feel. So I, you know, I I like that. Um, I mean, you will have. Can you remember when you saw Maniac the first time? Oh, probably. I think probably about ninety four or something would have been yeah. the first time that I saw this, and then I didn't actually see it again until probably two thousand and twelve. Right. When they put up that five minutes of the remake. Yeah. And then, yeah. then I thought, oh, I really, I want to go and check out the original again because. Even though I'd seen it, I couldn't remember lots and lots about it, apart from things like Tom Savini's head exploding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the start of it. It's it's got a really nice start where you you just you're not entirely sure what's 
going on when yeah. he's just at the beach spying on people and there's like heavy breathing. And oh, the heavy breathing's cool. It's one of the elements. I, I you know, I, I, there's a there's a lot about that. You know, the the killer POV, the fact that you know that it's a it's a very voyeuristic movie. Um, yep. And I really like that. I think that stands in as good stead. And I, I mean, if we if we jump forward to 2013 I know it says 2012 but 2013 and we'll look at the remake now like I said before this was a remake that when I heard I the eyes rolled in my head and I was like oh this is all we fucking need really Maniac you're going to re- remake the Maniac movie um, it was directed by uh, Frank Calfoon um, the writers were uh, Gregory Levasseur and Alexander Aja Um who some people like him, some people hate him. I like him. I think he's an interesting enough director. Mm. Don't like everything he's done. I'm looking at you, mirrors. Bad movie. <laughs> Bad movie. Um, but uh, yeah, there are other movies that you know he's put out. I, I'm, I'm looking at things like High Tension, which I do like. Um, Calvin's and- making the next Amityville film, by the way. Is he? Yeah, so he can now fuck off. Yeah, I think I think he has just burned the bridge I just built for him. Yeah, Cunt. it comes out. Uh, I think in two years. Oh, really? That's going to be like the fucking eleventh or twelfth Amityville film. Yeah. In total. Yeah. Some some would argue that that may be eleven or twelve too many. Kill. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the 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 cast this time, um, our maniac, our our Frank Zito character, is played by Elijah Wood, which had originally. Got a lot of people kind of oh, a wee bit nervous. They couldn't really understand the the, the casting choice there. Um, that's because they hadn't seen Wilfred. That's because they hadn't seen Wilfred. That uh, that is true. I, I I hadn't seen Wilfred at that point, and um, people were saying, you know, no, he, he can play creepy. Check it out. Um, and I saw that, and I was like, yes, yeah, oh, I totally see why someone would think Elijah Wood should be in this movie. Um, I had some other. Actors and actresses in here, some of which uh, I can't pronounce. So um, I'm going to see Nora plays Anna, Brian plays Eighties Man One, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> America, uh, America, Olivia plays uh, Frank's mother. Um, there are other people. Uh, Jan Brober plays Rita. Uh, Megan Duffy plays Lucy. Megan Duffy would get it tight. Um, <laughs> I guess we both follow her on Twitter. <laughs> we we do we do. I occasionally tag that I'm watching the movie, and occasionally she retweets it. Oh, nice. She's she's quite nice that way. Uh, yeah, but oof. You don't um, tell her you're only watching her scene on repeat. Nah, I don't. I don't tell her where mother hand is either. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so the synopsis for this movie is: Did your I, wife listen to this? <laughs> she, she never listens to this. I can get away with murder on this. Um, <laughs> Uh, the synopsis for this movie is as he helps a young artist with their upcoming exhibition the owner of a mannequin shop's deadly suppressed desires come to the surface so uh, I'll kick us off here this movie to me is and I have said it before I've said it before when I reviewed it before I think this is one of the best remakes ever and no surprise it's landed in at number 4 the change quite a bit but at the same time the changes they make make sense and I think aid if not transcend the movie into a different level Um, the first big thing being the setting so we're no longer in New York because New York isn't 
Now, I've been to New York. I was there last year. New York is nothing like it was shown in Maniac because there's a lot changed. Um, the the gentri- gentrification of that city, you know, everything is everything is different now. You know, there's less crime. Uh, it's you know, the, the, there are now. You know, it's now a desired place to live, and he's not necessarily was. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's just... The fact I've moved it to L.A., and I, I've remarked before, I think L.A. in this movie has almost a kind of European vibe. The city looks European. If someone had told yeah. me this was filmed in Paris, for example, I wouldn't I wouldn't disbelieve them. You know, I, I would probably say I can see that, I just can't see the tower. Um, so, and, and I it has... I think it is as well. I think there's there's a particular colour wash that's over this that d- makes it feel once again doesn't surprise me that you have Asia in the background here, you know, as a as a producer and all the rest. It does have that kind of European feel. Um I think the the casting of Elijah Wood first and foremost is ingenious on so many levels. Like I said before, on one level, yeah, it does look a wee bit... It looks like an artist, right? It looks like a kind of arty sort of person. A kind of quirky, weird, arty sort of person. And from what I've led to believe, Ellie is full of quirky, weird, arty sort of folk. Um, and these people are quite popular with the ladies. So at, at no point do I feel kind of... And he's, he's purposely... Like, some people would say, I don't believe for one second that Elijah Wood could attract the woman of the likes of Megan Duffy. Um, me being one of them. Because uh, clearly, <laughs> she's into folk like me. But you've got to remember, he meets her online, so her character on some level feels that she can only meet men online, and I, I think her character is a bit of a predator, a kind of sexual predator in that movie anyway, and I think his character fits very much into that. Um, and he, he plays a, to it as well. He does, and that's the, that's the the genius thing about this. This guy is multi leveled. I don't necessarily think Joe Spinell plays plays it on so many facets that Elijah Wood does. I think there's many layers to the Frank character. Um, myself and my former co-host got in a bit of a, a wee bit of a, an argument about how much sympathy lies with the character played by Elijah Wood. And I sympathise with his character all the way through. Um, Graham, less so. Graham says that he feels that from the point, from the first moment you see him, he's creepy and as such has no sympathy for him. I likened him very much to um, the guy in Peeping Tom, where I thought yeah. the, the more backstory you get, at first, yeah, he's kind of creepy, but the more backstory you get on him, the more you start to sympathise with him because he's not, you know, he's not, he's not, born that way, he's a product of his environment, that's made him that way um, I think Keeping Tom definitely is a, a big influence on this film Yeah, because it had like the, the POV stuff in it as well Yes, even though it's not all in POV but it does this kind of thing where when he is going to do anything it kind of disjoints you from, you're not you're no longer watching him, you're watching his actions yeah instead and i really love the way that they used that in this film just all the way through it i think that's i mean that was one of the big concerns for me like originally walking in was i heard it was all in pov and i was like you know i like pov as a gimmick do i want to see a whole movie of it how's it going to work and it works amazing it totally sells us i love the fact that we'll later kills in this movie (laughs) um what you get is you get the scenario of 
the more insane his kills go, the fact that the camera pulls out from it and you actually see him yeah. do it. And, you know, obviously, um, if you read into things like the psychopathology of serial killers, a lot of serial killers will say that when they are doing the act, they can almost see themselves doing it. They kind of transcend the actual actions of the violence and they almost see themselves doing it from... I, I, I think the camera does that in this movie. It does it really well. Um, yeah. I love how mean-spirited this movie is. It's so fucking mean-spirited. Um, right down to... The, it's how much glee Frank revels in at times with some of his kills. Mm. Um, when he's chasing down the ballet dancer... Um and the and the kind of and the subway system, and then you know gets her in the car park and then slices the back of her heel, which is one of those things that's guaranteed to make me want to bite my hand whenever I see it. It fucking freaks me out. Um, yeah. and then just stabs the utter fuck out of her. Um, I, I really then you know recreates the original poster as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the 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 kind of the, the scalp sequences as well. I really like the fact that he gets the art curator, um, in this movie who's very horrible to him, um, and that's probably the most vicious kill in this movie. He takes his time and really, really, and that dragging of the knife down her back is horrible. It's I can yeah. feel it. I can actually the noise. I, I I can feel it. It's it's oh, the the. The way it's shot, the 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 POV, the the acting, um, the 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 fact that I have a bit of sympathy for the way that Elijah Wood plays the character, are all high points for me. The the gore, the the fact that they really go for it in the gore, and it's it's partial CGI, partial partial practical effect, but I love the gore. When yeah. you then put that score on the top of it, that's when the movie just becomes something completely different to me. I think the score is fucking amazing. Um, I think uh, Rob, the guy that's credited, but he's only got one name, Rob. This yeah. Frenchman, Frenchman who did the score, um, just hits the brief straight away. And in a lot of respects, it reminds me of things like Drive, which has that kind of quirky, yeah. kind of 80s feel sort of thing going through. In fact, the movie, in a lot of ways, is kind of like a more kind of stylized violent version of a movie like Drive um, but the, the soundtrack works really well the kind of the synth motifs that follow Frank when he's doing certain things if he's in stalker mode a particular motif plays if he's yeah. you know uh, you know if he's having a panic attack a particular motif plays and I think that works really well the panic attacks in this they're, movie they're brilliant yeah, I mean, I, I used to get them when I was a bit younger. I actually used to get them in cinemas when I was younger because um, I had a horrible experience when I went to see The Blair Witch Project and I'd actually passed out in the cinema. Um, was that experience just watching The Blair Witch Project? <laughs> no, I like The Blair Witch Project, Gil. So, um, but I passed out watching it through motion sickness. Um, I just I, I got completely messed up by that movie and uh, it kind of put me off going to the cinema for quite a long while and the first couple of times I went back I got panic attacks because I was I felt like it was going to happen again constantly, yeah. and I think the fact that when I was having a panic attack anyway, it you feel that everyone is looking at you thinking you're having a panic attack. Yeah, your ears start ringing, you get tunnel vision. Yeah, I thought the the panic attacks in this film were definitely made by somebody that has had quite a few panic attacks. Mm. I I know them quite well. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's and I mean they're so well visualised on the screen it gets me once again it gives me sympathy for the character um, I genuinely think that I mean the the top three in my list will be 
coming up over the next couple of weeks and they will be no surprise to anyone because they pretty much top everyone's lists and there's a reason behind that because they are fucking phenomenal but the movies themselves that none of those movies came out in the 90s none mm-hmm. of those movies came out in the 2000s this movie to me is the best horror remake of the last 20 years um, yeah. easily easily by a, by a million miles easily the best horror remake of the last 20 years um, that person Gil, in the car agreed yeah that person did I, was, I, I, I did hold up a sign that said honk if you like the Maniac remake and they they, they obliged um, Gil I've monopolised the conversation here tell us how much you love this movie loads I absolutely fucking love it if it wasn't on Netflix then I would have bought the Blu-ray by now but I will get round to buying the Blu-ray eventually mm-hmm. but this Elijah Wood works perfectly in this for every reason that Vince Vaughn didn't work in Psycho yeah you know it's it is just such good casting and I think everybody is really really good in this film all the way just even little minor characters, just little. There's just so many things to love about this film. The only thing that I, that I don't like, and every time it gets to that point, that kind of annoys me, is the subway chase because obviously there's going to be cameras and stuff round about there. Yeah, so yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Why is he not being automatically caught? Because it shows you him going to the effort to kind of avoid being caught when he goes after the curator. Yes, yeah, like yeah, yeah. He's got this awareness of his surroundings, and the start of the film shows you him being very, very cautious, and you know that one kill just doesn't quite work for me. But then it's got that recreation of the poster at the end of it. Mm. So you, you kind of go, "Oh, that's all right," but why couldn't he have just followed her? You know, because she's running away. Yeah, that's that's the point at which somebody who is possibly going to chase you down and kill you would go, oh, I'm in a subway that's full of CCTV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, it, I mean, that's the one thing you can say about this movie is that um, it, whilst he is very much aware of his surroundings at that point, you know, like when he's going after the curator, he is a, he's not going to have a massive shelf life as a killer because he is pretty much a sloppy killer he doesn't really wear gloves and um he isn't he doesn't really wipe up his spew yeah. <laughs> um, and he's yeah he's, he's he's not the he's not the the cleanest of killers that when the police finally manage to kind of track him down at the end that's no no big surprise to me no. but yeah i know what you mean when he's when he's doing all that and that's that's a long he's chasing her they're running around this bit of a subway for quite a while and yeah maybe if that was in the 80s before cctv i could believe it but yeah. when you get to that point you have to suspend your disbelief i've always had a theory about this movie and that because we are in the mind or worth seeing things through the eyes of frank as a character who is because we're pov and because he's insane how much of and especially the end of this movie which is set up in such a way that we get how far his delusions have gone before he dies Um, that I've always wondered if particular scenes in this movie actually happen the way we see them or if we're seeing them the way he imagines them so because he's he's chasing her in that subway and there's no one there Ellie's a huge city yeah why would there only be two people on that train and nobody else in the station yeah and then you jump out to the car park outside and um, there's plenty of cars parked there 
There's plenty of buildings around there. She's screaming and no one does anything. No one's checking their mirror, window. There's no one on the street. There's no one around their cars. You know, if my car was car parked in a car park and I lived in an adjacent building and I heard shouts, I'd be checking to make sure my car was all right. Yeah. Um, so it's always that's always kind of stuck with me as if, you know, we if we're seeing exactly what has happened in real life or are we seeing exaggerated versions of kills you know him working up in a particular way yes he did murder this girl but did he chase her around or is this his mind bringing up an extra level of thrill um i don't know i don't know that's my that's the only way i could kind of justify that yeah that sequence it's definitely the most twisted episode of Peep Show yet. <laughs> For our American listeners, uh, Peep Show is a programme you need to watch. <laughs> it's on It's on their Netflix. Get it watched then, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, there's a seven or eight series of it up. Yeah, it's really good. And really it's, get... it's all in POV, that's, that'd be why I mentioned that. Yeah, that's... that's, that's it's the only it. other thing I can think of that's shot entirely in POV, in POV apart yeah. from pornography. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. It's just I I think I I just think like this movie changes certain things, like I said before. But the the kind of it's funny. I, I remember hearing an interview with Elijah Wood. I think it might be actually in the the Blu-ray, or it might be on YouTube. You might be able to find it. Where he kind of said something similar to what I said earlier on about uh, remakes sometimes focusing on the wrong things. Um, and I think what this remake does really well is the fact that they right they recast the Frank character to someone who maybe would be a bit more appealing to women or or, or whatnot or or update him they update the technology as well you know you can now because people when you're chatting to someone online whether it's on Facebook or on Twitter or anything someone that you don't know you don't know them <laughs> that's that's yeah. the point it could be anyone at the the other end of that and. Um, he manipulates that really well. That that whole Megan Duffy sequence is, is is particularly set out in a way which is just pure manipulation, and we see it from his point of view. Yeah, and um, He's, it's like uh, you said, timid. Yeah, he plays this like kind of timid role, and when he realizes that she completely gets off on that, he plays further into that, and it just. As, as, but this is what they say about um, serial killers in general: is serial killers can be anything to any one person, yeah. and that's how that's how they they're like chameleons. Um, that's how they go undetected, because you they, they seem to be able to read people really well and just play into whatever that person wants or needs. Um, and I think it's done so so well in this this remake. Um, it's just so fucking good. It's just really. I yeah, because nobody would miss her. Nobody would know that she was out on a date of course because not. of the way he sets it up. It's not, it's not the, the sort of conversation where she would end up feeling that she had to say to somebody, "Oh, I'm going to meet a guy. I'm going to be at this place," and you know she's not going to be doing all the stuff that people tell you you should do if you're going to meet a stranger. Because yeah. as far as she's concerned, she's the one that's dragging him out to meet her. Yeah, so yeah. it's perfect. As as the as the, the just as as a film that's obviously there's the people have come to with the idea that they obviously like the original and they've obviously 
decided to try and update it, but not in a way which is like, well, you know, this movie's flawed because it came out in the 80s. We can do this, we can do that way. They've just taken great care and just updating things and switching yeah. things around a bit. And I think that's I think that's where it works. I don't think Gus Van Sant had the same approach when he did Psycho. And I think, you know, that, that shows, that's evident. And um, then you jump onto the Maniac remake and it just works. It just works. I mean, it was my film of the year last year. It was my favourite yeah. movie. And that that's even outside horror. It was my favourite movie last year because when I saw it, I loved it. I mean, loved everything about it. And I've seen it a couple of times since then. I hadn't seen it at all this year um, until this week when we were gearing up to record. And um, watching it back, and I just felt exactly the same way. I just thought, this movie is just awesome. And th- this, to me, is when people... If people say, you know, well, there's no good horror remakes... You show them this. Um, if people this say the thing, the fly. Yeah, yeah. If people say there, there are no, um, you know, like modern Hollywood directors don't know how to do a kind of modern, you know, really gruesome, horrible but sophisticated horror movie. Maniacs, what I would show them. I think it's just it works on multiple levels, and uh, yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Anything else you want to add before we we take a short break? No, I just think it's a brilliant film, and it's the sort of film that even if people don't like horror, or if they if they get a little bit turned off by gore and stuff, this is a film that even though it includes all of these things, it's interesting enough that that someone who wouldn't normally like some somebody that would never ever watch the original Maniac or any other slasher film could watch this and still really enjoy it and find sympathy. Mm. within that character yeah yeah definitely so there you go Graham <laughs> yeah I showed it to my mum and she really liked it I showed funnily enough I showed my uh, brother-in-law was through with his girlfriend and um, she's not in the horror at all and I I know he is and I was like we need to watch this maniac thing and she gets she's really like you say she really hates like scary things and all the rest and I finished and she loved it she absolutely loved it she said it was a really really good film so I mean I think it does have it does have arms and legs to reach beyond its, its core base they could so, only do one thing to improve it what would that be Gil? see that chase through the subway yes if they had used the old theme music from the Equalizer oh amazing <laughs> Oh, How I love good would that, that be? I, th- I originally thought you were going to say they were going to play the Benny Hill music. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, Gil, that's wrong. Uh, yeah. But yeah, oh, the equaliser. Oh. Yeah. Soon to hit cinemas in a remake. Yeah, and I don't know if you've been checking the advanced reviews, but there's a lot of people not liking that movie, dude. Um, I've, I've seen the trailer and I just I can't see the point. Yeah. I, I was like, I love Denzel Washington, but he's no Edward Woodward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they shouldn't call it the equaliser. They should have just gone, oh, Creasy didn't die at the end of Man on Fire. This is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dakota Fanning grew up to be uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they relocated. And you get to do the, the cheesiest joke ever. You know, oh. the. the oh, Ed- yes, what? Ed, what's Edward Woodward without W's? No, it's uh, no, why, why does Edward Woodward have so many D's in his name? Because otherwise he'd be Iwa Iwa do I Iwa 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 Oh yeah, we're going to take a break. We're going to be right back to close up the show after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. 
Warning, the Midnight Horror Show is not safe for work and is definitely not for the faint of heart. The following is a small sample of what you'll hear live every Wednesday night at 7 at allradiox.com. I ain't heard from you shitheads for fucking years. Now, Webula, we do this thing that's called a live radio show on the internet. And so there's people that interact with us. Yeah, they're listening and responding to us right now in real time. Who, who, who's talking shit? <laughs> fuck, Somebody's talking shit? Someone named Fuckface. And so then, fuck you, Fuckface. <laughs> oh, you think we'll go off on tangents? <laughs> on the Midnight Horror <laughs> Have Show? you ever listened to this show before, Mark? <laughs> he was masturbating into the, the corpse of a fucking beheaded fish. Fucking uh, nasty motherfucker. <laughs> we're going to end the show on corpse fucking this time, apparently. Anytime you talk about necophilia, you're talking... It's going to take a certain kind of person to watch it. Yes, it's a charmed life. Fuck you. <laughs> you can hear the Midnight Horror Show live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night at allradiox.com or download the show on iTunes, Podomatic, or at the allradiox.com page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back, and you've been listening to episode number 37 of the podcast Under the Stairs, where we've continued the countdown of the top 10 best and worst horror remakes to select by myself. Um, this was number 4 on the best and worst, which was uh, Psycho from 1998 in the worst category, and Maniac from 2013. So Gil, have you enjoyed yourself? I've had a great time. It's been a very... <laughs> It's been a very nice, relaxing chat. I think has, has a very been. informative chat. I think <laughs> if people haven't learned several things from this chat, then they should go away and jump in a canal. Because <laughs> there's no hope for them. There's no hope for None anyone. None at all. None. Um, it's always a pleasure getting a chance to chat to you, my friend. Um, We've already chucked out your your uh, your stuff at the beginning for how people can find you, but if you just want to tell the, the, the folks out there what the website is again? Uh, BodaciousHorror.co.uk for the Bodacious Horror podcast and LegionPodcasts.com for the two-drink minimum. Yeah, yeah, people people need to be checking out both of them because uh, they are both a lot of fun. Um, so uh, you have an episode ready to drop of the the Bedacious Horror podcast. Can you tell our listeners uh, what the movies are in that? Uh, yeah, that is uh, as above, so below. Oh right, yeah. And catacombs, which is uh... <laughs> I see what you've done there. Who was in catacombs again? Uh, pink. That's right. Oh dear God. Yes, I I can't uh, say anything too spoilerific about our reviews, but let's just <laughs> put it this way: one of them we thought was all right. One of them, this is just a complete fucking waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> it's and just you... horrible. The only good thing about watching that film was the. Actually, both films we watched together, which is not something that happens often. We went to the cinema to see As Above, So Below, and Roscoe came for a wee visit to come and see me and watch Catacombs. <laughs> I, bet he was, I bet he was loving that visit. He'd uh, already seen it, and it was him that picked it, so it's all his fault. Oh, God. I don't feel as bad about picking Frankenstein's army now. <laughs> yeah, but I... Ha- but now I have to do all the editing of that episode, so I have to listen to us talk about catacombs, and that will remind me that catacombs exists. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh yeah. So so people people will be able to check that out fairly soon. I'm not going to put a time frame because you've got to edit it and you've got all Gary's stuff to edit. Yeah. Which I mean, it doesn't help that Gary's fucking like trying to organise one pretty much every single night of the week now. Um, <laughs> so that doesn't that doesn't really help. But uh, yeah, and um, you guys are now back on Horophilia, is that right? Yes, we are. We're on the Horophilia network of podcasts at the moment. Which is uh, weird because when I first started listening to you guys, it was through Horophilia. You were the first horror podcast I've ever heard through Horophilia. Yeah. Which is really, really strange. Um, it's like a, yeah. an odd little homecoming. Yeah, it's awesome though. It's awesome. Um, and obviously, Horophilia, if you're there, you can check out some of the other awesome podcasts over there. Banana Laser, Skeleton Crew, which is kind of winding down to its uh, its epic 100th show. Um, you also get a chance to check out uh, Jason Lloyd's very own podcast, My Bloody Podcast, which is a really good slasher podcast. Yep. Um, the Phantom Zone podcast. And one of my favourites at the moment, and I mention it every week, Kiss the Goat. Fucking love that podcast. Yeah, Kiss the Goat is really good. I really, really like it. And Jeffrey's a, a, a really good laugh online. He's really quite animated and quite involved with, with, with just loads of conversations. Really nice guy. Um, yeah. And I've said many times they are the podcast that I did not know that I needed in my life, Gil, that I now cannot live without. Um, (laughs) And they gave gave Scotland a little shout-out at the end of their last episode. They did indeed. They did indeed. So uh, it's good to see that we're getting the word out there, Gil, slowly. Slowly. I'll be taking their advice. (laughs) Hopefully one day... Americans will be able to locate Scotland on a map. Um, that's my <laughs> ambition. That's but this is the sole purpose of this podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and obviously you also mentioned Legion podcasts. Uh, this shows on Legion post- podcast, but you can also check out some of the other shows there. There's Devour the podcast. There's Grave Shift Radio uh, Two M's, uh, which is just uh, sorry Twelve MCs. Um, yep. which has just dropped. That's Ryan Lewis's new show. People need to check that out. They've just started, um, and he guarantees me there's a lot of drunk shenanigans on that, so I'm there. I'm sold. Um, Might I be doing a show with Ryan? Actually, oh, I don't know. If yes. I don't know if that's spoilerific or even announceable. Or anything, well, it, 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 on it that show... Uh, it, it potentially has a name. Oh, right. Ooh. It would be the... The Twelve Drinks Mandatory Thanks No Care podcast. <laughs> a, a bit of a mouthful, girl. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so you, you can check that out as well. Um, our our uh, Führer, um, Bo, it's no longer David, it's Bo, is putting together some sort of game streaming, game commentary sort of thing for, for Legion which is going to be coming up soon, I don't know much more about it out with that but there are plenty of other shows and I always like to do a shout out for Gary Hill, Johnny Krug over at Kruger Nation and um, the Big Horror and Little Podcast which I mistakenly called I think on the previous show as the the Big Trouble and Little Podcast for obvious reasons you can see how I got muddled up it's the same reason on several podcasts people say the people under the stairs instead of the podcast under the stairs yeah. um, I, I, I thought difficult. you were going to say Big Chef, Little Chef <laughs> Can't cook, won't cook. No, sorry, it's Big Cook, Little Cook. Big it? Cook, Little Cook, yeah. You, you'll be getting used to watching that in a few years' time. Oh, don't say that. Um, but yeah, the, the the Big Horror 
in a little podcast, which is Andy and Rachel. Um, the guys have just put out the third episode, which was their Maniac episode, where they did a look at pretty much what we've just done. Um, Maniac from 1980, Maniac from 2013. They also looked at uh, 2001 Maniacs, which was the Robert England movie, and they did Maniac Cop as well. So it's a really good episode and they're a really good show. So go over and show them some love. Um, for this show, uh, the next show after this will be uh, a Baz V Horror. You guys got the opportunity to select what horror franchise he should start with. Because um, he's seen none of the big ones. And you guys selected Friday the 13th. So on the next show... Baz will be doing um, Friday the 13th, the original. And there was a couple of jokes flying around online when... Uh, I can say this because you probably not hear it before the show, uh, before yeah. we record. He did say he couldn't wait to take on Jason Voorhees and um, no one had the heart to tell him he's not in the fucking movie um, until the very end. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's in for a bit of a shock there because uh, he genuinely doesn't know. So that's, that's quite that, funny. That's awesome. I'd love to, is, to watch a film like that uh, that's... Yeah that you don't know the twist he doesn't know this is the thing he's never watched any of the Halloween movies he's never watched any of the Friday the 13th movies he's never seen any of the the um, Nightmare on Elm Streets he's never seen any of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres and knows next to nothing about any of them and I'm just like that oh you are putty to be moulded yes. um, I can't wait so uh, that'll be that'll be coming up on the next episode the episode after that um, is number 3 on the countdown on the top uh, 10 best and worst horror remakes I'll be joined by a colleague of mine from another show uh, Mr Bo Ransdale will be coming back for that obviously I won't give you the films because you don't get them till the show comes out but I'm looking forward to chatting with him um, that leaves me nothing else to say other than thank you very much to Gil Rokitansky for coming across and uh, shooting the shit with me thank you again Gil thanks for having me it's been a lot of fun. It always is when I get a chance to speak to you anyway. It's always a good laugh. Yeah. Um, and I look forward to uh, coming back on the Bedacious Horror Podcast sometime soon. Yep, it should should hopefully be. We'll sort that out. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, 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 it'll happen and it'll be awesome. And um, would you like it'll to be good- bodacious. It'll be bodacious. That's what it'll be. Uh, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, please? Not really. <laughs> no, no. Bye, everybody. Love you all. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, hang <laughs> you hang up. You hang up. Don't hang up uh, because I need to, to do some pimping and stuff. Um, remember, you can always follow us on our Facebook page. Uh, you go to Facebook, type in the search bar, podcast under the stairs, come across to the closed group, and you can get involved with some of the rather cool and interesting conversations from our listeners over there. It's a it's a great wee community. Um, also, you can leave some feedback for this podcast directly on iTunes. Uh, if you go to iTunes and if you leave us a positive rating, it means that our podcast gets more bumped up the ratings, it means more people are likely to come across, it only takes two seconds come on, you know you want to um, and that that's really it from myself, Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, thank you very much for listening I look forward to speaking to you all very very soon, bye everyone <laughs>